My guest this week is Stephanie Bowsley, author of Buy the Avocado Toast. We chat about how she sank into massive debt, the steps she took to get back on her feet, and writing a book to help others facing her challenges. Welcome to episode 240 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Thank you, as always, for downloading or streaming the show. I really do appreciate you taking the time to plug in me and my guests into your earphones. I've got another fabulous interview for you this week. Stephanie Bowsley, the author of Buy the Avocado Toast, love that title, and she'll explain why she came up with that title in the interview, racked up debt of over $200,000. And she tells me her story, how she repaid that debt using innovative ideas, which ultimately led to her writing a book about it for people finding themselves in similar circumstances. So let's get straight into that interview with Stephanie right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Stephanie, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Hi, Roger. Thank you so much for having me. Stephanie, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on the show. Today, we're going to talk about your new book coming out in April, and it has the intriguing title of Buy the Avocado Toast, a guide to crushing student debt, making more dollars and living your best life. And you also run a website called You Are Not Your Debt. So lots of really interesting stuff to talk about today. Before we get to that, Stephanie, give me a little bit of background about yourself, where you came from, how your career's developed, and basically what makes Stephanie Bowsley tick. So basically, I um, am considered a millennial. I was born in '82, so I'm kind of a I'm kind of an older millennial at the very end of the cutoff. But I had a pretty, you know, simple upbringing in Minnesota. I got a scholarship to go to college at the University of San Francisco in California, and I paid my own way through college. I worked three jobs, and I had pretty minimal student debt after that experience. I think I had about maybe $15,000 of debt, which wasn't too too bad. Um, but then I decided to go to grad school because I wanted to study film. And I applied for New York University's graduate film program, um, which is kind of thought to be like one of the top five programs in the country. Wasn't able to work, wasn't able to kind of go through the educational experience the same way. Ended up taking out a lot of loans and also just running into some personal problems there in my 20s, you know, depression, anxiety, things that affect, you know, a lot of us. And I finished school, did some internships, didn't really pay attention to my student debt. And then when I finally did check it, it had ballooned to about $286,000. And that was such a huge number at the time to me. I couldn't believe how someone like me, who is generally, you know, responsible, getting straight A's, academic scholarships, could amass this much student debt. And I really felt like my life was over. Um, 
that no one would want to marry me, would never be able to afford to live in a nice house or have a wedding or do a lot of other things that I wanted to do. And the bigger one was that I couldn't even work in film because the monthly payments on the loans were so high, it was almost as if now I couldn't do the thing that I wanted to do. Um, so I read a lot of personal finance books around that time. And what I didn't like about them is that they felt sort of patronizing to me. And they seemed to put all people with debt in the same category, the category being kind of people who mismanage their money mm. and are irresponsible. And the messages of the books works kind of like uh, just make more money than you spend. And the problem's really that simple. And I always compare that to people who say losing weight is easy, like you just need to burn more calories than you take in. Mm. Um, and I feel like that sort of oversimplifies the problem because there's many reasons people self-sabotage their financial situations, you know, or their diet. And if we really want to treat this issue in society, we really need to acknowledge the underlying reasons why people hurt their own financial situations if we're really going to treat the problem. Um, so I decided to write a book which encourages people to still take personal responsibility, but look more holistically at the bigger picture of why their life looks how it does, um, specifically financially, and really acknowledge like what additional help or support you need to give yourself to treat this problem and get back on track to the life that you would prefer to live if you were actively going after your goals and not drowning in um, financial problems. I mean, there's so much that you've said there. I mean, just thinking back, you know, $280,000, did you say? That was the figure. You know, um, that, uh, for the UK people, that's about two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. That is an incredible amount of money, and and maybe some people will be listening to this and thinking, well, Stephanie must have been out every night enjoying herself and buying loads of um, clothes and shoes and this, that, and the other. But let, let's be honest, that is what it costs to get an education in the United States these days, and. Even in the United Kingdom, I, I mean, I, I went to university back in the late 80s, and I was extremely fortunate that in those days, the fees for university and college, they were paid for by the state. Yes, we had to pay for our living expenses and, and accommodation and that sort of thing. The difference between that and today in the United Kingdom, where the majority of fees have to be paid and living expenses have to be paid, books have got to be paid for, you know, it mounts up, doesn't it? Before you know it, as you say, you can you can have these incredible six-figure numbers. And I mean the average the average salary in the United Kingdom is about between twenty-five and thirty thousand pounds a year. So that's ten years worth of salary that you've got in debt. And and I, I, I can't begin to think how scary that must be. So even just sitting there and, and deciding to write a book about it with all this going on must have been quite a, a leap to make, Stephanie. Well, it was definitely took several years of like mentally accepting, you know, that my choices had led me to that position. And it was a huge source of shame and secrecy, really. I remember telling a friend that I re 
I understand why people commit suicide over debt, because that definitely did cross my mind. And I don't want to say that, you know, I, I was a total victim and I have no sense of responsibility over how much money I owed. You know, I chose that school. I chose to go in spite of the fact that I didn't have any loan co-signers. Um, so I got really big interest rates of, you know, eight and a half percent compounding every year, et cetera, et cetera. And it was something that just became so painful to look at that I did, you know, I was making payments all the time and I wasn't, you know, just sweeping it under the rug or something. But whenever I thought about the reality of like how much I could pay and how that wasn't even making a dent in the amount of interest, the loans would accumulate for that month alone. Mm. I wasn't even really getting out of debt. I was just paying that month's interest every month. So it just felt like it was something that was impossible to get out of. And so it was really depressing to think about or try to come up with a plan to pay it off. Um, and so I just felt, you know, I was in so much pain over that entire situation that I wanted to write a book where people were told that you're not a bad person. You do have to deal with this situation, um, but let's do it in the smartest way possible. And let's really look at the numbers and figure out what it's going to take for you to kill this debt. And for me, that was meant taking some bigger actions in my life. I, I lived abroad and worked abroad for about six years because I, I was able to be in a country with a lot lower income tax rate and I put that excess money towards the debt. I got myself you know, the help I needed in regards to some of my personal issues and um, then I was able to get back to, hey, what what do I want to be doing with my life if I'm not just paying off debt? And who is that person? And that's kind of how my book goes through helping people, um, giving real scenarios of real things you can do that might not be in other debt books, like moving abroad just being one example, mm. but also, you know, kind of learning how to forgive yourself and how to how to combat this problem yourself rather than just hoping someone gets elected that can <laughs> eliminate the debt or something like that right like it's a very much a, a message of taking personal responsibility but doing it in the right way not just in the self-defeating punishing way so did you go about coming up with a plan for yourself first so you know the thought process might have been well here i am i've got this amount of money in debt and I've got to pay this off. So did you get advice from people, come up with a plan, this is how I'm going to pay off the debt, I'm going to live abroad, I'm going to work here, I'm going to do this, I'm going to um, cut back on the amount I spend on food or whatever it was. Did you come up with a plan first, see that that was working, see that you were starting to pay back some of the debt, and then did you write the book based around that plan? What, what, what's a bit chicken and egg, I guess, how did it start? So it started really from one month I'm doing my budget, right? And I went to school for for screenwriting, writing, um, and that was really what I wanted to do. And I moved abroad to take a job at a hedge fund. And because of trading hours, you know, we had to get to the office at about 6.30 a.m. And we usually left around 7 p.m. 
sometimes earlier, sometimes as late as 11 p.m. Um, so I pretty much was working very long hours and I felt like I had taken this job because I had so much debt. I never would have gone into finance, you know, otherwise. And now I had no time to write, no time to pursue any of the things I actually wanted to do because I was sort of a slave to this job and living in Singapore, in Asia. So that was really hard. And I realized that if my life just was all about paying off this debt, I would have to live that way for at least 10, if not more years. And that I just couldn't be a slave to pay off debt for 10 entire years Mm -hmm. and put aside my other interests. So I had this opportunity to work with sort of a writing coach who had helped me sort of stay on track with pursuing other things I wanted to do. And I always felt bad for paying her every month because I thought, oh, that's money I could have spent on my debt. But it's like if I didn't have that outlet and someone keeping me accountable to getting things done, you know, writing more and getting pages in, um, I thought I wouldn't be able to just motivate myself to, you know, get out about at 5am and work on my writing. So I realized it actually was in my benefit to pay for that writing coach because she made it able for me to work my day job without feeling like, I had completely abandoned myself and my life. So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, all other debt books would say, you know, don't pay for this. It's excessive. It's not necessary. You know, you should just put that money towards your debt. I found that to not be true in my case. Mm -hmm. And, and I was like, no, I need, you know, it makes a lot more sense for me to work in a job where I make three to four times what I would have made in a similar job in the film industry Mm -hmm. and pay a little extra to have an outlet than to just work in the industry that I went to school for and stay, you know, kind of broke and, and in debt for much longer. So I thought maybe it's more about finding the balance of like being super smart about where you work and how you earn money and how much and, then finding a way to balance that with who you are, the goals you have, and finding a line between like rewarding yourself in a nurturing way for things that actually help you versus just spending money on things you don't need, which uh, most other debt advice books would say, you know, just don't spend money at any cost. Mm-hmm. Um, so the more I started talking to other people in debt, I found out that a lot of people were in a similar situation to me, but everyone was not talking about it because it's such a shameful kind of embarrassing topic. And I thought, well, okay, if I could make my life an example, maybe it can help other people. So to go back to your original question of, did I make a plan? I made, I I don't think I made a large grand plan initially because It was too kind of overwhelming to even do that. Mm -hmm. But what I did do is I focused on small goals along the way and how I could achieve those. So, for example, my student loans were at one point in time earning $1,600 a month in just interest. So every month the debt would grow by $1,600 and my minimum payment was something like 
I think like $600. So I was paying money every month, but the debt was actually growing by about $1,000 every month. So that seemed like a death sentence Mm -hmm. financially. And I was like, okay, I just have to focus on being able to not go more into debt every month. So how can I, how can I do that? I got to refinance and I have to get a much lower interest rate so that the debt is growing at a smaller speed that I can pay off each month rather than go more into debt. So I just focused on that. And at the time, my credit, you know, I had been in grad school and my credit wasn't that great. So I, I got rejected from like every single student debt refinancing place, which at that point in time, there were only about, uh, you know, three to five companies doing that. So it wasn't like a credit card where there's a million other places you can apply for. Like there weren't, there was only a handful. So I just focused on, you know, I would apply to all of them, try to get a lower interest rate, get rejected, feel like I'm a horrible person. Um, but then I would wait a couple months and reapply. And I did this again and again until, you know, my debt to income ratio was such that someone would take me on as a refinancing, you know, applicant. And then I got into a situation where I was earning only like $450 in interest a month, which I could then pay off that plus a lot more. So just that little goal of like, hey, let's not go more into debt on this interest every month was sort of where I started. And then once I achieved that, it was like, what else can I do? And the more things I was able to accomplish, the more motivated I was to keep going and um, keep paying off a little more each year. And of course, what it says on the book is that the book is a treasure trove of unconventional ideas to effectively help you pay off debt. So could you share, I don't want you to give away the uh, entire contents of the book, obviously, but could you maybe share one of the, or two of the unconventional ideas that you've got in the book, telling people how they can pay off their debt? So you've obviously refinanced, that's one thing. What are the more unconventional things that you've done? Yeah, so I have bought two properties while I was still in a lot, some of this debt. So I talk about, uh, one chapter is about how to get a mortgage when you have, um, four, five or six figure student debt, you know, some States offer different incentives to move there or to build a property there, um, or to work there. And I go through some of those options. I also walk people through a process of really evaluating their current job and career and whether it makes sense to stay in that. Because let's face it, if you're earning, you know, $40,000 a year, you can get a second job, you know, driving Uber, whatever, for essentially minimum wage. But maybe it just makes more sense for you to find a similar role in a different industry that has a bigger base salary, which would be uh, more than both of those two jobs put together. So, it, it does challenge people to really look at their life and make some potentially large changes. Um, but it also helps people take more of a holistic approach to, you know, if I can't make those broad changes like moving, um, what can I do today to reduce my financial self-sabotage? Um, so when, you know, when do you treat yourself? When do you focus on paying the debt? 
Um, and how do you get the courage to look at that financial picture, no matter how bad it is, you know, like maybe you are spending your money going out drinking every night because it helps you forget about your debt. So let's look at that. Maybe, maybe you need to get some help there so that you can go back to living your life and, and not punishing yourself and not trying to turn off whatever you're feeling. There's a major mental health and well-being thing going on here as well, because this this came up at a conference that I was at last year in the United Kingdom, where we were talking about debt and mental health and well-being. And a lot of the companies out there, banks, money lenders, whatever, debt collection agencies, the language that they use in their communications can actually be quite scary and quite confrontational. You know, if you don't pay this loan back, we'll send the big boys around with the baseball bats to take your furniture in. And, and that doesn't help people. You know, it doesn't right. help. It, it's, it's awful. It's, it, it's a terrible situation, but that exists. And, and I think that when we talk about debt, the focus is always on how you can pay it back, how you can make savings, how you can earn more. But we very, very rarely hear about the mental health and well-being elements of debt. Have, do you cover that in any detail in the book as well? Yeah, I mean, that's a big focus of the book and how I think my book is a little different from other traditionally, you know, financial self-help books. Um yeah, because I know what I went through. And even when I was researching, I was kind of visiting, you know, chat rooms and Reddit threads of people who were also in six figure student debt. And a lot of I mean, it was heartbreaking. A lot of people talked about suicide, alcoholism, how they just had become antisocial, depressed. And unfortunately, that kind of shoots you in the foot further with regards to your finances, because, you know, if you're living like a college student in your late 20s, 30s, 40s, living paycheck to paycheck, working multiple jobs that are not challenging or fulfilling, you are a lot less likely to, you know, ask for that raise or apply for a job you're a little underqualified for, crush that interview, or even, you know, ask someone out on a date. Um, because your self-worth has become enmeshed with your financial kind of net worth. And so I really encourage people, even if they have debt they're uncomfortable about, to, you know, invest in themselves and not deny yourself healthy food, exercise, Mm -hmm. or opportunities for personal growth because you're too busy just punishing yourself over your debt. So I think it's really important and I do really encourage people to look at the mental health component equally as important as the actual ins and outs of the finances because, you know, if you're continuously self-sabotaging, you're not going to make much progress unless you do that. Indeed. I think that's really, really sound advice. And and I'm really looking forward to reading that part of the book, because as you say, I don't really think that anybody really covers it in any adequate detail. Now, you said uh, as well earlier that one of the problems that you perceive with 
existing books about how to handle debt is that some of them are perhaps written in a patronizing way and you know they tend to give um, pretty naff examples as to how you can uh, how you can pay debt off and and I just wonder whether the title of your book is a little bit of a swipe at some of those because I can't remember who it was now but isn't there a famous case where some financial expert basically turned around and said oh you millennials should stop moaning about your debt just stop buying avocado toast and just have a proper piece of toast with butter on it instead and you'll clear your debt in no time i don't know whether that's exactly the right story but is is the title of your book a little bit of a swipe at that sort of approach yeah roger you got it um that's exactly that's exactly the message that is a quote and it was about basically how all millennials are just kind of lazy and how they want a free pass a free lunch um don't want to work their way up to where they've gotten and the reality is, yes, there are some young people like that for sure, but I think it's really important to draw a distinction between those people and the other type of people in debt, which are people who did go to like the top schools, right? Harvard's expensive. Mm. And I don't think that someone who, you know, went to Harvard Law and became a public defender should be treated like they're an idiot who, who doesn't know how to you know, not go to Starbucks. So I think it's important to acknowledge this other subset of people that are in debt, but who actually are very hard workers. And, you know, they just made maybe a wrong career choice or, you know, they went down a road that didn't exactly pan out how they thought. Um, and I don't want to tell that person that the answer to their problems is just, you know, never eating out again or going to the bar or something like that. Because in reality, for someone who's in six-figure debt, they'd have to make those lifestyle changes for such a long period of time that by the time they're out of debt, it's like, you're old. What's the point? <laughs> <laughs> this is a fascinating story, Stephanie. And as, as we draw the interview towards its close, just tell me, did you pitch your idea for Buy the Avocado Toast book to a publisher, or are you actually self-publishing this? Oh, yeah. So... Um, Thanks to my writing coach, I learned whose name is Caroline Allen, by the way, okay. and her website is artofstorytelling.com. Um, but she traditionally worked with, you know, authors writing books. I, I started working with her on screenplays, but then I started to think about, you know, how I hated that there were no books with the financial message that I was looking for kind mm. of out there. So I, I thought about how to not make my debt secret, mm. the focus on my life, and to share my experience for other people that could possibly help. So uh, Caroline helped me put together a little pitch and proposal, and I approached a number of literary managers and also some publishers directly, and I just wrote maybe the first couple, two, three chapters of the book. And I said, okay, I'm going to go out and see if there's any interest in the marketplace for something like this so that I know if I should keep going or not, you know? Yeah. And so I did that and I pitched, I had a fair amount of meetings, but at that time, which was about 20, let's say 16, student debt wasn't such a widely talked about issue. And so there were a lot of people that said, you know, make it more broadly about debt or don't focus on student debt specifically. And, 
And I was like, no, because student debt is the thing that everyone is struggling with. And then a couple of years later, it, it now it's like this big topic in the elections and stuff like this. Um, so now it, it's kind of like the book finished and it's coming out right as kind of this topic is about to gain traction in the, the public. That was great accidental timing. <laughs> but yeah, I did, I did write a little, I would take meetings and then I would write a little more and I kept sending out all these things and I got tons of rejections. And right as I was about to give up, in fact, there's a picture on my Instagram right now of my diary from about two years ago, where I'm talking about how I wrote this book and what a waste of time because I wasn't able to publish it. And I think that same month I wrote that I received contact from Familius Publishing who had received my stuff months before but never replied and they wanted to be my publisher. So it ended up just as I was about to give up, I did find a publisher. And I think that's the story for a lot of authors. Um, and so, yeah, it's going to be available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, and most places where books are sold. Fantastic. So, Stephanie, what would you say was the one thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from all the experiences you've had, not only writing this book, but the, the journey of debt that you've been through? Yeah, I think my overall message is the one that I use on my website, which is just you are not your debt. And it's kind of like you may have messed up your finances. You may have gotten into a lot of financial problems, but that is not any reflection on your value as a human being. And the biggest advocate for remembering that has got to be you. And so, you know, it's not that you're looking for a free pass. It's not that we want someone to magically erase all of our debt. It's not great having a financial situation that looks like that, but it does not mean that you're not worthy of things that other people are, are getting, you know, happiness, marriage, love, a safe place to live, healthy food, all of that. Um, regardless of your financial situation, you do deserve those basic things and should give them to yourself. I really like that. You are not your debt. We really just need to dwell upon that for a second because, again, it weaves that whole mental health and well-being thing that we've talked about today into that thing. It's not just about the financial stuff. It's about you as the individual. I think that's incredibly important. So Stephanie, I'm hoping that people listening to the show are going to want to buy the book. You've already mentioned it's available at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. But, but how should people get in touch with you? And just remind me of your website. Yeah. So my website is www.youarenotyourdebt.com. Dot com, And I can be reached by email um, just through that website or at hello at youarenotyourdebt.com. And on the page there, or, or on my website, there's a blog where I have some shorter bits of reading people can check out, um, as well as links to pre-purchase the book, um, which will be coming out March 31st of this year. Fantastic. And I'll include those links in the show notes for the podcast, which you can find at rogeredwards.com 
rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. That's rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash M-A-F. Stephanie, thank you so much for coming on the show. A fascinating story. Let me wish you all the success for the future, all the success for the book. I'm certainly going to buy it and read it when it comes out. And I don't get to Boston that often, being from Edinburgh, UK. But if I ever do, let's meet up and have a decaf coffee and talk about (laughs) publishing a bit more. I would love that. And yes, please. Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.